Deuteronomy chapter 8, we pick up with verse 11 and read down to the end. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And then let's go to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Start with verse 1 and read down to verse 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, I hope everybody is ready with your presents for Christmas tomorrow. 
You didn't know it was Christmas tomorrow? You're not ready? Why not? It's Christmas. I mean, I've been in the shops for weeks now. And Christmas decorations have been out and Christmas presents have been out. I just assumed everybody had it all ready and we were ready to go. Well, one of the things I do with my wife a lot is uh, sometimes uh, after a Friday night or a Thursday night when we've been late and worked hard uh, and we're coming home, you know, she'll say, do you want me to fix you something to eat? And, and I, have, I, I, have, I have an anointing. I have actually two anointings. You know, one, one great anointing I have is that if you put me in a shop and you say, Rod, pick anything in this shop, I will go explicitly to the most expensive item in the shop. You can hide the price tags. You can put, you know, the expensive stuff on the lower things and put the other things at eye level, and I always go to the most expensive thing. That's kind of one of my anointings. The other anointing is that when my my wife asks me for something to eat or what I want, I will pick something that she doesn't have in the refrigerator at a time of day when we can't buy anything. I just, you know, I've got this craving for this. And she's like, Rod, I just went to the shop, and that's the only thing I didn't buy. We've got this whole refrigerator. Because there's a, there's a, a thread here that operates with Christmas as well as with my wife and all of that, and that is that all of these things require a certain degree of preparation. I mean, we know this. We instinctively know this. Uh, I thought about one day, I, I thought about, I, maybe I should play for Manchester United. I mean, these guys are having a hard time. Even with the great one there, they're having a hard time. So maybe, you know, maybe they need me. The problem is that I can't run to the end of this sanctuary without being exhausted, let alone run up and down a football pitch. And so I know that there's no way that I could possibly compete for uh, a spot on Manchester United's team or any other Premier League team or, frankly, any other league. You know, what's like the lowest league? You know, the, the five-a-side football that uh, Raya might, you know, put together. I, I can't even begin to participate in any of that because I haven't prepared for it. It's the same reason that I can't go out and run a marathon Uh, It's the same reason that I can't do a lot of things. And I've had a lot of opportunities in my life to prepare for things. Uh, I took guitar lessons at one point in time. Samuel's taking guitar lessons. Uh, And even though my guitar teacher, when I was taking guitar lessons, I was younger than Samuel when I started, and I took guitar lessons for a few years. And he said, Rod, you really need to practice. Now, another word for practice is prepare. Because I would just show up for my lessons, and I would not have practiced and, and I could get by a little bit, en- enough to, you know, do okay, but not great. Now, Samuel will tell you that that's never going to lead you to play guitar like he plays. You know, it just won't do that because you have to have that kind of preparation. Now, there's a challenge here as you're seeing this in me. It's the same challenge with all of us. And that is almost none of us will prepare of our own initiative. You understand that? Now, it's one of the reasons why we have exams and papers that have to be marked at university. Because it doesn't matter how much money you are paying for that university, the truth is that most of us in university would not have spent time studying and preparing and doing the hard work 
that we needed to do to learn unless we knew that we had an exam that was coming up and that one day we would have to face the music and either succeed or be uh, uh, extraordinarily embarrassed when we failed completely. Because we need, we need some kind of preparation and we need help in our preparation. Now, it's great what the text says in the scripture. You know, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Well, why is it if our minds can't conceive it and our eye, eye can't perceive it and, and all of this, why is it that so often we never receive what God has prepared for us? Now, I've met a lot of people in my life. I've met a lot of Christians in my life. I've been around a lot of Christians in my life. And I will tell you that what Jesus said in the parable of the sower is absolutely true. That one out of four people, just like one out of four soils, only one out of four will probably produce any degree of fruit. And of that one out of four soils, only 30% will produce the greatest amount of fruit. And that's probably a fairly generous, a fairly generous estimate. And why is it? It is because we fail to prepare and it is because we do not allow God to prepare us. And if we are not prepared, we cannot receive what God has for us. One of the things that's a cry of my heart right now for us as a church is to look forward toward the time when God's going to pour out his spirit again in London. I believe that time is coming sooner rather than later. And I believe it's possible that we could see, even at City Temple, hundreds of new converts in a very short period of time. And one of the things we're doing right now is seeking the Lord and asking God how we need to prepare for that season. Because if we are not ready, guess what? If 500 new people came tomorrow and we're not ready for those 500 new people, many of them would be lost. So why would God give us those 500 people in the first place if all we're going to do is lose them? One of the great joys that Karen and I have I've had uh, over the last few weeks is with Richard and Evelyn and their kids. They've come over and stayed with us a couple times. And we've had a really blast, blast, uh, a blast with them and a blessed time with them. And, and we love this. But I, I guarantee you one thing. Richard and Evelyn never would have left their kids for us if they did not know that we were prepared to have those kids in our house. When they saw our house, they knew that we were ready. They got to know us. And they wanted to make sure that we were prepared to take care of children before they left them with us. Otherwise, they never would have been foolish enough to left their kids with us. And this theme goes on, on and on and on and on. We need to prepare. And oftentimes, we need each other to help each other prepare. And we certainly need God to help us prepare for the good that God wants to bring. We've been talking about the goodness of the Lord. And we said that God is good. God does good. God gives good. God superintends good. And God prepares us for good. God is good. God does good. God gives good. God superintends good. And God prepares us for good if we will allow him.
God prepares us for good. And the biblical word that summarizes God's preparation of us to receive good is everybody's favorite. I know you're thinking, discipline. I love that word, discipline. Yeah, God, give me more discipline. You know, that's one thing I've hardly ever heard people pray in almost 30 years of, of, of ministry. I've hardly ever he- heard people say, oh, God, please discipline me. And give it to me good, God. Give it to me. Real discipline. Now, most of the time, it's like, oh, God, please. This is too tough. I can't handle it. Stop, stop. And we want to quit and we want to run away. But if God is going to release good into our lives, if he's going to give us good, and if he's going to do us good because he is good, then it would not be good for God to do that if we're not ready for it. Now, it's one of the big reasons uh, that, that, I don't, uh, that I don't go uh, to one of the younger children in this, in this church and say, hey kids, here's the key to my car. Why don't you take it out and see if you like to drive it? I would be crazy because there has to be a preparation process for people to receive the good that they might have from us. And if, if that's true for us as humans, it's even more true with God. And that's exactly what was happening in the wilderness. Notice what uh, Moses is saying to the guy. He said, hey, be careful. Don't forget what God has done. When God starts blessing you, when God starts giving you good, don't forget the process by which you are receiving the good ha- that God has for you. said, so now remember, you were in slavery in Egypt. And that was a time of disciplining for the, for the people of God. And then God delivered them out of slavery by the hand of Moses, took them through the wilderness, fleeing from Pharaoh, took them through the Red Sea, and took them toward the promised land in order to give them the good of the promised land. And then they got up there. They got right to the edge of the promised land. God says, okay, here, I've been preparing you. I think you're ready. Go check it out. See how good it is and go on into it. And so they checked it out and they said, wow, you know, the land that God's given us is really a good land. Oh, we love this land. Uh, And Joshua and Caleb said, okay, let's go take it. God's given it to us. And the other 10 spies said, no way. These these are big dudes. You know, they're, they're tough. I mean, they, they'd eat us or something. I, I don't know. And so what did the people do? They didn't, they, they didn't go. They didn't take the good. And then the next day when they wanted to get the good, they couldn't get the good. Why couldn't they? Because God wouldn't let them because they weren't ready to receive it. They weren't ready to have it. And so God caused them then to wander for a generation in the wilderness. Now notice while he was preparing them, he's doing good for them. He's doing good things in their lives. He's, they're wandering in the wilderness and he's preparing them and, and, and doing all of that. They, they overcome fiery snakes and, uh, and scorpions and, and they got water out of the rock and manna from heaven. God provided for them. He was doing all of these good things for them. But it was a process. And what was the process? The process was to humble them. You know, whenever you want to get good from God, humility is required. 
Because if you don't have humility, God knows that you'll be puffed up in your own heart and you'll start to say, hey, it's, it's my strength, my effort, my ability, my, my, my skills that brought me this good. Not really God. God helped, but it's really for me. And that's an affront. So he had to humble them and then he had to test them. Test them. Give them an exam to make sure they were ready for the good. And when they were ready, Joshua said, okay, go in. Uh, God said to Joshua, okay, go in, take them in. And they did that. And he said, now you're going to get prosperity. God's going to give you wealth, but you need to be careful when you get this prosperity and wealth, you need to be able to say, it's not me. It's from God. That everything good that I have comes from God. And that was the warning. And so often we don't heed that warning. So often we think it's because of us, it's our own efforts, it's our own strength, it's our own ingenuity, it's our own luck, it's our own whatever. That's what got me the wealth, that's what got me my talent, that's what got me my ability, that's what got me the good in my life. And if we have that kind of attitude, God cannot give us that which is really good. Now Jesus said, if you can't deal with worldly wealth, how is it that God is going to give you that which is truly wealth? So God has to prepare. And that preparation process is also a discipline process. And that's what he was talking about there in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, If you are really a son, and we are all sons of God in Christ Jesus, men and women, we're sons of God. If you are a son of God, then God will discipline you. He has to discipline his sons. He has to discipline his sons. Now, the preparation process or the discipline process that God takes us through, no matter who you are, has one characteristic that is common to all people. You don't like it. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. I remember when I was in school and we were playing sports and things like that, the thing I hated was running around, running around the field. I just hated that. But the coach knew that if you didn't run, you weren't ready. If you're going to be a police officer, there's nobody that's going to give you a badge to be a police officer. Certainly won't let you be in the armed response unit unless you are prepared and you're trained and you go through a lot of difficult circumstances and testing circumstances to make sure you're ready. All the discipline, all the training, all the preparation always involves some degree of discomfort. Always happens. And our tendency is to cry out to God and complain and say, God, why do you hate me so much? Why are you putting me through so much stress and pain and difficulty? I thought you loved me and it's, it's miserable and I don't like it. And the Father's saying, I do love you. I'm treating you as my son. Because I know that if I don't do this, you won't be ready and I can't give you the good that I have for you. And so he takes us through this process. And the thing is, the process is unique to each one of us. One of the other things we like to do is we like to look at somebody else and say, oh, I want their discipline. That seems pretty easy. And God says, no, no, that's not, that's not yours. This one is for you. 
He structures the discipline process that each one of us needs based on who we are and how he has created us. And he takes us through this process. Now, you notice a couple of other things that he says, the writer to the Hebrews here says, now, we all had earthly fathers and they disciplined us for a short time. Uh, Do you know the implication of that? It means that God sometimes disciplines us for a long time. There are times when you can go through years of discipline to be ready. You look at the life of Joseph. We looked at last week. Joseph had a 20-year preparation process. The Apostle Paul had at least a 14, 15-year preparation process after his conversion. Moses, oh, man, this guy, slow learner. 40-year preparation process. 40 years of discipline before he began to be ready to lead the people. God will discipline us as long as it takes before releasing the good to us that he wants to give us. Now, the other good part about that is that if we cooperate, if we listen, if we go along with God, then even if we've messed it up in the past, God can redeem that and still bring it about if we allow him to discipline us, if we allow him to carry us through. So the implication is that we have sometimes a long time for God's discipline. And another thing the writer says here is that it is discipline to endure. So part of the whole process is developing our endurance, our resilience, our stamina, our ability to keep going. But notice the goal, the outcome that is promised Even though our fathers disciplined us for a short time and God might discipline us for a long time, he disciplines us for our good. He disciplines us so that we can receive the good that he has planned for us. We're saved by grace through faith, and this faith is a gift of God, and not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. God disciplines us for our good that we might share in His holiness. And when we share in His holiness, you know the great part about sharing in His holiness is that we don't mess up the good. You get that. If we're walking in the holiness of God, when God gives us good, we're able to hold on to it and we don't mess it up and we don't contaminate it because we're walking with the character of God, with the good that God has given us, the good that he's disciplined us for, and we walk with it and we move into it and we're able to hold on to it and that good is able to be multiplied and then God takes us and uses us to distribute that good to all the people around us. And this is God's promise and this is God's plan for us because God is good, God does good, God gives good, God superintends good and God prepares us for this good so that we can receive it fully and that is God's desire. But a key thing we need to remember about discipline, it's not punishment. 
There's actually two very different concepts biblically that we often miss in our translation in the way we use words in, in English. Now, a lot of times we use the word discipline, punish. My, my, mom, my mom disciplined me, which means she spanked me or she punished me. Now, punish and discipline are different things. Discipline brings correction. Punishment brings retribution. God does not bring retribution against us because Jesus bore the punishment we deserved on the cross. Jesus took that. Jesus has it. He bore it for us in dying on the cross. Therefore, God can discipline us which means to bring correction, to bring us into alignment with him and with one another to bring the negative things out of our personalities, to bring those negative character traits, those sinful patterns of the flesh and things, get those out of us, to make us strong, to give us stamina, to empower us with gifts of the Spirit to shape our character so that it becomes more and more like the character of Christ, to teach us how to work together as a team, as the body of Christ, in order that God might release fully the good that he has to us individually and corporately and through us then release good to the world around us. This is God's plan. This is God's desire that we all would experience his goodness. And everything God is and everything God does and everything God works by his sovereign power, he does to bring good. But we need to live with that confidence. We need to live with that faith. Otherwise, when we're going through difficult times, when we're going through times of discipline, when we're going through times of struggle, when we're going through our own wilderness wanderings, we're so tempted to quit and give up. And we start to question God and question God's character. And it's in those moments that we need to hold on to the truth as expressed by God's word that God is good, God does good, God gives good, God superintends good, And God is preparing us for good, which he will give. And the guarantee of this is the cross of Christ. As Paul said in the end of Romans chapter 8, if God did not spare his own son, how is it that he will not spare us any good thing? Everything good that we have comes through Jesus, through all he's done on the cross. And when we share this table, this thing called the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of God's goodness. And we are reminded that God can bring good even in the darkest of situations. We're reminded that God can bring good even out of the most horrific things such as the cross of Christ. That God is more more than able to bring good. And if he did that through Jesus... How much more will he do that in and through his people in Jesus Christ? And so as we gather at this table today, we gather remembering the goodness of the Lord and celebrating its presence in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Father God, I thank you that you want us to experience the fullness of your goodness and that you are preparing us for this very purpose. Thank you for this reality. Thank you for this truth. And thank you for giving us the Lord's Supper as a testimony to how good you really are, a manifestation of your goodness in our midst. And I pray now that you would bless this bread and this cup, that they would be for us truly the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus, broken and shed on the cross. Use them to strengthen our faith, to connect us more deeply and fully with you in the power of the Holy Spirit, to remind us of all that Jesus has done for us, and to empower us to receive again afresh and anew a revelation of your goodness. We love you, we praise you, we worship and adore you, and we thank you for this. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.